What's up, everybody? Welcome to MLB Morning Coffee. This is Greg Mraz, your host. Appreciate you tuning into this episode. We had to record a preamble to this episode because we recorded this conversation yesterday. It is with Ryan Sullivan of the Nats GM. He is going to give us a full Washington National season preview. But we recorded this episode before the news came down from Major League Baseball that opening day will be delayed at minimum two weeks. There's a lot that is still unfolding with the story. We do not have the full answers. We were actually getting the answers on spring training as the episode was getting recorded. So I wanted to let you all know that if it doesn't sound like we're up to date on news, that's because we recorded this conversation yesterday. That's when I was able to get Ryan on the horn and we wanted to talk about the Nationals. But given what coronavirus has done to the sports world, we could not avoid that part of the conversation, and news is breaking as we are talking. So wanted to let you all know we don't have the full context of what Major League Baseball has done in regards to suspending the start of the season, but we will have further analysis for you as it comes to light. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode of MLB Morning Coffee, a Washington National season preview with Ryan Sullivan of At The Nats GM. Down in three, two. Oh, yes. A happy Friday morning to you, everybody. Welcome to MLB Morning Coffee. We appreciate those of you that went through yesterday's coronavirus episode. Obviously, more things are going to happen in that regard, and we're probably going to provide an update on this show every single darn week. And uh, joining me for today's show, he is the editor of the NatsGM.com. He is one of the foremost nationals experts on the interwebs. It is Ryan Sullivan. Ryan, how are you doing this morning? Hey, I'm doing great. Um, I'm sequestered in my own house avoiding the coronavirus and hoping that I'm going to have minor league baseball to scout here in the next couple of weeks. So um, as long as I don't get sick, I think the world's looking pretty good. How are you? You know what? I'll say this. As somebody that works for a conference entity and looking at Twitter this morning and seeing, like, I had to sleep a little bit later today and just looking at all of these different notifications saying this tournament canceled, this tournament canceled, I'm just kind of like over the moon right now in regards to what to do. And with everything that has happened with the NBA and the NCAA tournament, I'm waiting, and this is a good segue into my first question, when is the shoe going to drop for Major League Baseball, and what do you feel like Rob Manfred has to do in order to make sure that the safety of the players, coaches, fans, and the surrounding communities are protected? Uh, I think Manfred's in a really tough spot, to be honest with you. I mean, we're, what, 12 days away from opening day, maybe 14 at this point. I mean, we're it's coming up quick, and this virus thing is changing, you know, not even day-to-day, but hour-to-hour in a lot of ways. If, if we had had this conversation on Monday – I think it would be a lot different than even today that we're what you know what we're having. So, to answer your question, I think that we're going to play opening day, and there are going to be very very few, if any, fans in the stands. I think it's going to be family and, and people you know related to the to the team or some media. But uh, I think that he's probably going to have to make this call here in the next you know forty eight hours or so, kind of when we're recording this. But I think he's in a tough spot, to be honest with you. I, this is one that I'm going to give Manfred a small pass on because I think it's so reactionary to what you need to do right now. It's really difficult. You, what do you think? I, I you know, I'm, I'd love to flip it back to you. 
So for anybody that is listening to today's pod that didn't listen to yesterday's pod, and I encourage you to go back and listen to it. Obviously, I got to plug my own stuff, Ryan. But I think what they need to do is say the season starting June 1st, act like a strike shortened year like the NBA and the NHL have done in years past and just put in a strict 95 to 100 game schedule. Just cancel everything for now block off the first two months, make sure that you have passed the worst portion of this, which, frankly, we don't even know if we're past the worst portion of this yet, and see what you can do starting June 1st. Because I feel like if you're going to have this kind of rolling week-to-week philosophy, it's just going to turn into a logistical nightmare. And I don't think anybody at Major League Baseball, given everything that's happened this offseason with the Astros sign-stealing and all Anything else that you might think is under the purview of Rob Manfred, I think it's been an an absolute disaster. Yeah, he could certainly use some help from the PR department. He's had a rough winter and Major League Baseball has. I mean, we've taken a lot of, you know, punches and we've really haven't handled a lot of these situations very well at all. So I I hope Manfred can get this one right. I I would not want to be in his shoes. Uh, I think your your solution sounds pretty good to me. I hope this thing blows over pretty quickly, but I, I feel like maybe June 1st is kind of the, the date that we can start counting on things. I hope, anyways. We did bring you on today, Ryan, to talk about the Nationals, and the Nationals are the defending World Series champions. So my first question to you is, is when you look at this roster, minus Anthony Rendon now, they brought in guys like Eric Thames who are going to help on the utility end of things, but it looks like... Carter Keyboom is going to get an opportunity to potentially win the opening day third base job. I know they've got Starlin Castro in tow as well. What is your evaluation on what this Nationals team is going to look like without Anthony Rendon? Uh, they're still a very solid team. I mean, and it looks like they're going to return, you know, 20 or 21 of the 25 guys on that roster, you know, last playoff. So there wasn't a lot of turnover this offseason. As you mentioned, Eric Thames came in, Starlin Castro as well. But they're going with a pretty status quo situation this year. Uh, they're banking on, you know, every other team in baseball seems to want to be getting younger and, and more cost-controlled years. And the Nationals are going with more veterans on on one- and two-year contracts and getting older. So uh, the lineup does feel a little light without Rendon in, in the middle of it batting fourth. But I, I think the team's hoping that Soto can take another step forward this season. And they can use these veterans to patchwork things until Keyboom can get uh, acclimated. And hopefully around the June 1st, maybe All-Star Game time frame, he's, he's ready to be a positive contributor at third base. You talk about the team getting older, but I was so impressed last year with the young outfield combo of Juan Soto and Victor Robles. And I want to talk specifically about Soto. When Bryce Harper first came on the scene and he was the Nationals' first overall pick, well, the first overall pick in that draft and one of the first picks that they ever had as a franchise post-Expos, and people thought this was the second coming. But I think watching the playoffs last year and given all of Bryce Harper in perspective, I think Juan Soto could end up being a better version of that second coming. Like, how exciting is he as a potential long-term superstar to Nationals fans? It's been really fun to watch. I mean, I, I watched you know him grow from low A Hagerstown to all the way to the majors in the last few years. So it's been really rapid. He doesn't necessarily jump off the page if you look at him. I mean, he doesn't look like an Aaron Judge or a Giancarlo Stanton or some of the guys that 
that look super impressive in the uniform. But then all it takes you is about two swings in the batting cage to realize this guy just has an incredible knack for hitting a baseball and hitting it hard every time and on the barrel. Uh, I, I just, I'm so thrilled as a fan, if I can put my fan hat on and, and say that I get to watch him for five or six more years in Washington. Hopefully they can sign him to an extension and it's a long-term thing, but it, he's just a joy to watch hit. And he's got a great batting eye for his age. He knows where he can hit the baseballs and which pitches he needs to avoid because he can't drive them. And he's got exceptional power to the opposite field. I mean, we saw that in the World Series with that unbelievable opposite field home run. But, you know, it'll be interesting to see uh, if he can continue taking steps forward with his development defensively and on the bases. Uh, those are definitely his weak points. But, uh, I mean, it's hard to think of, you know, 10 better hitters in baseball right now. We're here with Ryan Sullivan of the NatsGM.com for our Washington Nationals season preview. Were you surprised or was it expected that the Nationals gave the contract that they did to Steven Strasburg? I know that everybody going into the offseason felt like between him and Rendon, you effectively, based on what type of money they're going to want, pick one and let the other go. Are you, what is your level of expectation in terms of the contract that they gave him? And do you feel like that was the right move for signing an? I'm going to say an aging pitcher to a seven-year contract. Uh, I'm I'm kind of in the boat that I'm not sure Rendon wanted to come back. Uh, I, I think that he wanted to certainly explore the market and, and look at other opportunities, and I think he found an opportunity that was going to be better for him. I mean, he can be the third fiddle in a very, very large market and with the second biggest team in that market. I mean, you know, nobody's going to be interviewing him before Mike Trout and, you know, Shohei Otani gets a ton of, publicity for lack of any better way so he can kind of stand under the radar and just you know be a superstar on that team so so I'm not sure that he really wanted to come back unless the money was just absurd so I'll start there I'm I'm with you I'm always skeptical of paying a, a an over 30 year old pitcher with a Tommy John on on their resume to to big money I mean the risks tend to just say it's not a great gamble but nobody knows his health and what his arm looks like better than the nationals. I mean, they've taken care of him since the time he was drafted. He was for my money, the best pitcher not named Jack Flaherty last season from, you know, June on. I mean, so Strasburg was phenomenal. So the nationals have proven to, they're going to live and die with starting pitching. And if that's the case, then he was somebody that they had to bring back. Are you worried about the depth in this rotation past Patrick Corbin? Because Anibal Sanchez is getting older you know, Joe Ross can be an inconsistency, and and dating back to we were discussing that you know you and I first got to know each other in the Cape League. You know, Eric Fetty was one of the stars for the YD Red Sox when I was working in the Cape League, and I fully expected him to be a big part of this rotation when he was first drafted. And I'm, you know, injuries have prevented that from happening. So you know, what is your level of concern with the depth on the back end of the rotation? I'm nervous to very nervous. Um... But it's more I'm I'm concerned just, I mean, Scherzer has already shown a little bit of something on, on you know, his obliques or his side this offseason, or the, pardon me, this spring. We just mentioned Strasburg, it, you know, and his situation, Patrick Corbin and Annabelle Sanchez threw a lot of innings last year. They all did, you know, going in deep into the postseason. So I worry how that's going to linger and hang over into this year. Joe Ross has shown, shown great signs of ability at times. And he's also flashed inabilities to get left-handers out. So 
I, I'm concerned, but he's got the arm. He's definitely taken some mechanical changes. You know, he's definitely shortened his arm stroke uh, this spring in an effort to kind of do a Lucas Giolito 2.0 type thing. He's got the talent, but uh, if he's going to, he needs to start getting lefties out. If he's going to really take that step forward and, and either Fetty, Voth, you know, who you may not have mentioned, or uh, Joe Ross, one of those three guys has got to step forward and give them 150 quasi-league average innings this year or this team's going to really suffer. We're here with Ryan Sullivan of the NatsGM.com. Ryan, it was well noted throughout the playoffs last year, and I think that the magical run that the Nationals went on in the playoffs, it cannot be understated that they did so with a patchwork bullpen using Patrick Corbin in swingman situations and having to rely on basically Daniel Hudson and Sean Doolittle to close games every time out. They picked up Will Harris in the offseason, which ironically from the Houston Astros, and that's a whole other box of worms in itself in regards to what the Nationals may or may not have known about what the Astros were doing during the World Series. But I'm looking at Harris's numbers right now. 60 innings out of the bullpen in 68 appearances last season. He had a whip of .93. He struck out 62 guys and only walked 14. So my question to you is, how big of an impact is this for the Nats bullpen? And do you see him as more of a seventh inning guy or an eighth inning guy or maybe one of those fireman type guys that they'll bring in at any period in time to to get a couple of guys out? Uh, I think it's huge for the bullpen. I mean, it gives him another steadying force. And Doolittle has proven that he's very good when he's not overworked, but he does tend to wear down over a season and also tends to spend some time on the injured list. Uh, Hudson kind of the same. I mean, he's, he's taken to being a reliever, but this is a guy with two Tommy Johns on it, on his resume and a shoulder injury. So I think Harris just gives them the security blanket of 60 solid innings and not having to force Doolittle and Hudson to pitch, you know, three out of four days or four out of five and, and give them a little bit of rest. I do think the bullpen's going to need to see either Wander Suero or Tanner Rainey take a step forward this year to help that bullpen. Uh, if this team's going to go where they want to go into the playoffs. Uh, both have shown flashes. Rainey pitched fairly well at times uh, in the postseason. Suero pitched well first half of 2019 until he just wore down from sheer exhaustion. But if they can get one of those two guys, or hopefully both, to take a step forward and give them you know, league average innings or better, uh, that would really solidify the bullpen and give them a chance to you know, have a pretty solid uh, bullpen core that they did not have in 2019. Do you have any expectation for a bounce-back performance from a Hunter Strickland? No, I don't. But uh, I think the Nationals, when they signed him to a non-guaranteed uh, contract, kind of almost told you that it was a shot in the dark. I, I think the potential's there. I just I don't know whether it's a mechanical thing or what have you, but uh, he's just struggling with the long ball the last couple of years, and, and it's continued this spring. So I, I hope for the man's sake that, that, it, that he bounces back or he, he finds it, but... Uh, I'm not I'm not the most optimistic about his chances. I do find it funny that they picked him up a year too late. If they had ended up getting him when Bryce Harper was still on the team, I think that that would have been a comedy of errors to epic proportions given their history. But uh, that's a situation that we're never going to get to see. Ryan, I want to look at it now in the perspective of the Nationals in the grand scheme. And by the way, I just saw an alert come across and this guy is not a super reliable source 
but he hasn't been wrong on anything. Uh, it looks like MLB is about to suspend spring training. Wow. Uh, I can't necessarily. I think that's a first step in saying that maybe we're going to have a postponed opening opening day and opening couple of weeks, like you were mentioning, and we talked about at the beginning. But uh, wow, that's um, that's a pretty good shot in the dark while we're live on air. That's pretty. Yeah, that's uh, that's a heck of a note. Yeah. So for everybody that's listening, we're actually recording this on Thursday, so we're publishing on Friday. So. If we leave something out in terms of any news that has been published today, then, you know, our apologies. You know, we can only do so much with, with how we record. You know, we call this MLB Morning Coffee, but we do have to, to make a couple of uh, tricks of the trade in order to, to make this work so that you guys have uh, a podcast in your uh, in your feeds every morning. But, Man, I tell you what, Ryan, it's just things are ever-changing. The SEC has canceled their baseball season, or suspended, they have said. Like, the SEC doesn't cancel anything. Like, you know, you're on the East Coast. The Ivy League canceled all spring sports. Like, to me, that is insane. Uh I mean, a big part of my job is is scouting amateur players. I work as a, as a agent and um, director of amateur and pro scouting for Double Diamond Sports Management. And I was told by uh, two college teams yesterday that uh, no matter my qualifications or or what have you, I was basically not in, not welcome at the stadium for games. So it it's going to be an interesting spring. How's the draft going to? be affected how are scouts going to see these guys in, in their draft years what are you going to do this this is going to have a nice chain effect and we're getting to react to it live which is kind of fun so now that we've got this whole news of things in flux i do want to ask you though about the division as a whole i look at atlanta as the team that at least for the next few years based on how much talent they have and how young they are that's going to be competitive. I don't know necessarily what to make of Philadelphia. I think that they, they're also trying to get older, it seems like. Uh, I don't know what the Andrew McCutcheon acquisition is eventually going to bring. The Mets might be able to compete if their starting pitching is healthy, but I just don't see that. And the Marlins are still years away. So given your coverage of the NL East and, and having followed this division for years and years, where do you see the Nationals in the scope of the competitiveness of the NL East? And do you think that there are more than two teams, given the Nationals and the Braves, that have a legit shot at either winning the division or making a wild card? I could make a case for anybody besides Miami making the playoffs in some way, shape, or form. Um, I think that Philly has to have so much go right compared to the the other three teams that, that we're talking about in the division. But I could certainly see a scenario where Philadelphia comes in with 87 or 88 wins and, and gets a wild card. I mean, Bryce Harper has a crazy year and McCutcheon comes back healthy. Uh, Hoskins has another, you know, 40 home run type season and their pitching holds up enough. They've, they've added some bullpen pieces. So I, I just see them as having the lowest floor. I mean, I could also see them winning 77, 78 games too. If things don't go right. The Mets, I think they might have the highest ceiling of anybody in the division if everybody stays healthy and hits their and hits their, you know, kind of peak performance. But I also think they've got a pretty low floor as well as we've seen the last few years. When things go wrong, the Mets have have certainly really struggled to to you know replace players that have gotten injured. I, I think Atlanta probably has kind of 
the best combination of ceiling and floor in the division. I, I have a hard time seeing them not winning, you know, probably 85 wins on the low end and somewhere around 95 on the high end. I mean, I, they feel like a pretty solid team to me with some depth in the minors. I, I feel like the Nationals have a lot of variance here. If they play well and everybody stays reasonably healthy, this is a team that looks to me as good as anybody in the division. But with their age and just the wrong injury to a couple of players, and I, I do think this team could take a step back like we've seen some World Series teams in recent years. So I think this is going to be a fun division. I, I think Miami is going to be a spoiler as well. I think they're going to hit a little bit more than people think. So I, I, I think all four teams can really make, you know, besides Miami can make a, a legitimate case at making the playoffs. But um, I think Atlanta is probably the most solid team overall. I think uh, the Mets probably have the highest, uh, this highest ceiling, pardon me. And I think, um, you know, that the other two teams, the Nationals and, and Philly uh, have a lot of variance to them. I think it's really intriguing that this year in baseball, and I'm just kind of looking around, that except for the Dodgers in the NL West, every division around Major League Baseball seems like it's going to be ultra-competitive. Like the NL Central, you can make the case for the Cardinals, the Reds, the Brewers, the Cubs. Like, all four of those teams could potentially win that division. In the AL West, I think the Astros, given everything that's happened, are going to take a step back to the pack. I think the Rangers have gotten a lot better. I think the A's are still going to be good. The Angels are a wild card. They could either be really good or really bad. They obviously spent their money uh, disproportionately. In the, NL Cent- in the AL Central, I think the White Sox are going to give the Twins a run for their money. And then the AL East, given how many injuries the Yankees have suffered to key players, I feel like it's not a stretch to say that the Tampa Bay Rays are now the favorite to win that division. What what to you, as you look around Major League Baseball, is going to be the biggest surprise uh, throughout this upcoming year? What do you what do you foresee happening that maybe the majority of the baseball quota don't? Wow, that's really putting me on the spot. Wow. Um, coronavirus would have been my answer, but I feel like that's a little cheap. But um... Yeah, I think that's a little bit cheap for anybody at this point. I don't uh, I don't think that we can use coronavirus as the unexpected uh, impact of the Major League season anymore. Well, I think you kind of alluded to it in, in the setup of the question, but I'll build on it. And I think that this year is going to be a really competitive baseball season, which is something we didn't necessarily see last season or even the last couple seasons. I think there are a lot of tight races, and I think besides maybe the Dodgers as a real stick out, most of the other divisions should be fairly tight. I mean, I can see scenarios where, you know, like you say, I think Tampa could be the most complete team in the AL East, but then again, all of a sudden the Yankees get right and they could be a juggernaut. I mean, and you go through each division like that. So I'm I'm looking forward to this season because I think we saw in free agency several teams that you know, we're on the fringe. It took steps forward to get a lot better. And we didn't see that necessarily with some of the top end teams. So maybe we will have a more competitive season and more teams competing in, in September 15th, you know, for a wild card or a division where most of the races, it felt like were wrapped up, you know, with two, two and a half weeks left in the season last year. So, by the way, I don't know if I'm going to go to work today or in any future days because I just got the notification that the Pac-12 has canceled all sports until further notice. So, uh, um, Turning the interview back onto you, what, is, what does that mean for somebody that works for the Pac-12? <laughs> I have absolutely no idea. I was not scheduled to work today anyway based on the way that the men's basketball tournament schedule went and, and my cohorts in the stats and the research department. 
So I'm going to go to work tomorrow and I don't know what I'm going to do or if I'm going to work from home. So this is a wild and crazy time that we're living in. And, you know, I think it's kind of prudent talking to somebody around the Nationals that, like, if this baseball season isn't normal and given how people have felt that the Dodgers were robbed of two World Series, you know, given the Astros and the Red Sox and what they did, like, it's legitimate to say that the Nationals may have the last real legitimate World Series championship for quite a while. And for a franchise that had so much success in the early 2000s in the regular season and never got past the first round of the postseason, it has to feel pretty satisfying, doesn't it, Ryan? I mean, again, I'm going to put my fan hat on, but imagine how badly this offseason would have been if the Astros had won the World Series. I mean, just the, everything of that storm would have been so much worse if all of this had come out and they, and they had won the World Series. I mean, sure, Houston fans would have been happy, but the other 29 teams' fans would have been really mad. I, it's really satisfying just as a fan with all the losses that the Nationals fans went through and, and the difficult losses. I mean, the Pete Cosma in 2012 with St. Louis and the the just the brutal way they lost to the Giants in 2014 and all the other ways that they lost. I mean... It, it was very satisfying to have that ball bounce away from Trent Grisham and, and for them to get a break and to finally let the dams go and win some games. Because, uh, I mean, I, I truly believe that they were the best team in baseball in 2012. And they, if they had just won game five, they would have been rolling. And, and it just felt like, you know, so often in sports, it's the year you're not supposed to win. It is the year you actually end up winning the world series or the championship. So I, I just, I mean, so many of my friends, you know, who are diehard Nationals fans like me have just been so appreciative and thankful that they, that we have this championship when it, it could have so very easily gone the other way in Game 7 and it, this offseason would have been just so much of a mess. I think it's interesting to note, and we'll wrap up the conversation pretty soon here with Ryan Sullivan of the NatsGM.com. Davey Martinez is somebody that I don't think a lot of people expected to last past maybe this past year if the Nationals hadn't made the playoffs. You know what was funny, actually, Ryan, and I don't know if you knew this, in the history of the franchise, given that's when they moved to Was- from uh, Montreal to Washington, no manager has been in charge for more than three seasons, which I think is remarkable. And Davey Martinez proved how great of a manager he was this past season given where the Nationals were in the middle of May, to will them to the playoffs. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, did they have the best record in baseball from May 15 on? Uh, I think Houston might have been one game ahead of them, but your point is well taken. They had the second best or best record in baseball from May 21st on or whatever it was last year. What do you see in what Davey Martinez has done that's different from, say, a Dusty Baker or a Matt Williams or anybody else that has uh, manned the dugout in Washington? Um, I think he's an extreme players manager and I think that he went when so many other managers last year at, when things were going poorly, he would have started blaming other people going into the media and saying, well, you know, our team's beat up and this and that and trying to save his job. Uh, he went the absolute opposite way and always deflected it, took the ownership on him. And I think the team respected that. I mean, we've been through, as we've said, some ups and downs in, in Washington, D.C. 
you know, the last few years. And I think the managers didn't always own, even if it's not necessarily their fault, didn't necessarily own their blame, the blame that they should have taken. And I think the players really rallied around the fact that he never sold them out. He always had their back and he stayed. I mean, Davey Martinez is so cool that you almost think that it's an act, but he's just that guy. I mean, he's just, I'm going to show up the next day and I'm going to win today. And then we'll worry about tomorrow, tomorrow. And you think it's an act until you watch it for two seasons and you're like, no, this is who this guy is. It's, it's kind of extraordinary, but he was the right fit personality wise for a veteran team. And I'm not sure that he would have worked for a young team needing a kick in the pants, but for an older team that just needed somebody to stick with them, he was a perfect fit. Ryan Sullivan, it has been an absolute joy to talk with you today here on MLB Morning Coffee. Uh, give a plug for your work and, and where fans can go read you and listen to your podcast. Hey, thank you so much, Greg. It's uh, finally nice to talk to you. We've been friends uh, online for so long. It's nice to uh, chat. But uh, you can find my work at uh, NatsGM.com online, at NatsGM.com on Twitter. Uh, my personal account is at Ryan Sullivan MLB. If you want to talk baseball or professional wrestling, my two passions. And um, you can find my podcast, The Ryan Sullivan Show, on iTunes and basically any place that you can find this podcast, you'll find mine. And it's a once-a-week show. It's an interview show. Things have had to change a little bit since I became an agent rather than just a sports writer. But uh, I do some pretty interesting interviews, um, authors, people involved in baseball, and so forth. So uh, – if you like this show, I'm, I'm pretty confident you'll like mine, so give it, a, give it a listen and check it out. Absolutely. Make sure that you go follow the Ryan Sullivan Show. I'm going to start getting into a lot of those episodes as well. So I actually, before I wrap this up, I actually do a Chicago Bulls podcast for another podcast network, and we've been told to have all of our operations on hold for the moment. So, like, it's affecting the podcasting industry too right now, man, and, you know, I'm sure that by the time – that people open this up tomorrow, that there is going to be some form of new news in regards to coronavirus. I mean, I'm looking, we're recording this Thursday morning for Friday morning release, and I'm looking at Twitter, and there's going to be a conference pretty soon from what Jeff Passan has put out there that Major League Baseball will probably suspend spring training. And, you know, Donovan Mitchell has also now suspended, or rather, he hasn't suspended, he has tested positive for coronavirus and you know this is just something that this is on an an unprecedented time in our sports world i would say greg we've been chatting for 20 minutes or so and you've broken that spring training could be canceled the pac-12 is canceling all athletic events and and something else that i'm blanking on i mean it's been a heck of a 20 minutes what's the rest of today going to look like i've never had a day since i've been a part of twitter like yesterday where Every time I open up Twitter, something new happens. Like, I always tell people that Twitter is one of the best news sources out there, whether that information is reliable or not. But I never had a day, and I'm sure you could probably say the same thing, where I open up Twitter and I see something different every single time that has some form of a major impact on the sports world. And none of it was particularly positive either. It wasn't a great day news-wise, but... I love Twitter for, like you say, it brings all all the news feeds. I can get Seattle's beat writer. I can get, you know, the Texas Rangers beat writer all on my feed, and it's fantastic for that. But, man, yesterday was depressing to keep opening up and just seeing bad news. So uh, 
I hope I'm assuming things are going to get worse before they get better. But man, I'm tired of the bad news. I am tired of the bad news, but it's always good news when we're talking baseball. Ryan, appreciate your time today. Hey, and thank you so much. Uh, Definitely. I'm a big fan of your show. I listen every morning. Uh, Definitely people check out MLB Morning Coffee. Ryan Sullivan of the NatsGM.com. Thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you in the AM, and hopefully we'll have some more news regarding what Major League Baseball is doing in response to coronavirus. Take care, everybody.